You're listening to Senior Times Podcasts. Thanks to our sponsors, Expressway and Doro Phones, for making this podcast possible. This is Driving Life. Welcome to episode eight, where I have a chat with Brian O'Donovan, RTE's former Washington correspondent, just back from his time in the US. He surely was a witness to history, from meeting locals at gun shows deep in Trump territory to Black Lives Matter protests, COVID and the chaotic election aftermath, Brian was there. We hear a bit about what life was like for him in America, including what the locals were like on the roads. And we hear about what he's up to next, He'll be RTE's work and technology correspondent. You could also check out previous episodes where you'll find chats with people like Shane Ross, Teresa Mannion, Ivan Yates, George Hook and others. Names you'll know and some you won't have met yet. It's all there on SeniorTimes.ie or wherever you get your podcasts. Just Google Driving Life with Connor Faulkner and you can email me at connorfaulkner at gmail.com. But first up, it's Brian. He took time out from unpacking his American boxes to talk to us, so off we go and meet him. Brian O'Donovan, hello and good to talk to you. Hi, Connor. Great to be on. Thanks for having me. Hi, uh, you're very good to come along. Uh, I'm talking to you by Zoom, and um, so I'm used to seeing your face in a frame. I was joking just as we said hello. This is the first time I've seen you without a tie in God knows yes. how long. Yeah, but that Zoom, isn't it? You don't have to wear the tie. God only knows what you wear on the bottom half. I think we have lots of viral things of people standing up and realizing that they were uh, chancing their arm of what they were going to wear. But yeah, 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 yeah. And you, you, you got retired for so many people, didn't it? Yeah, you, you, you're an old pro at that as well, because there's an incident in your book where you're, I think you're on holiday in South Carolina or something like that, and one of the stories breaks. So uh, you have to sort of leap into action and you're still, what are you wearing? You're flip-flops and beach shorts uh, yep. on the bottom yep. half. And on then, the bottom and half, then, and then the, the jacket and the tie in the top half. And of course, it was about 35 degrees Celsius in the sweltering yes. South Carolina heat. And there I am doing a report. And then, of course, I get spotted in the little holiday apartment place we were in and word spreads to the swimming pool where my wife overheard people saying, I think there's been a murder or something. There's a report, <laughs> a report on the balcony. But no, it was, it was yeah, about very good. breaking at yeah. the time. Well, actually, that's an old that's an old pros trick. I've I've been known to do it myself. If I'm, yeah. a, 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 if I'm on a guest in a TV program, I ch- check in advance. Is it top half only? So can I yes. wear jeans? Yeah, very good. And um, well, look, welcome back. Um, you're 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 in you're you're back in Dublin. Um, have you sort of adjusted? Have you have you you know apart from time zones and all that, has your head adjusted to being back in Ireland? It, it has. I've been very fortunate. I had a chunk of time off, so I came back before Christmas, but I don't start my new role, which is work and technology correspondent, mm. until next week. So I've had all that time off uh, to adjust, to get back to life, yeah. to reconnect with the family after four years. Joanna and the girls, of course, were over with me in the States. But, yeah. You know, it was a hectic period of time, so it's been lovely now. I've been daddy daycare for the last few weeks, doing the drop-off, doing the collect, doing the lunches. Uh, we bought a, we changed houses in Ireland during our time. There yeah. was a DIY to do in the house as well, so so I've been kept very busy. And I was just telling you there before we came on, our American stuff just arrived uh, the other day. So we're in the process of unpacking all of that at the moment as well. So it's uh, it's busy, busy times right now. Ah, uh, well, listen, that's brilliant. And work in technology will be fun when you get into it. Yes. I, I doubt you'll ever match, though. I'm missing, maybe I'm wrong, but talk about the dream job. Uh, I mean, I've, I've joked about it as well. You know, what is your dream job? I think 
U.S. correspondent for RT has to be has to be right up there. You, you had a blast, clearly. I did. And then certainly within journalism and within the RT newsroom, it would be seen as one of those dream jobs. And look at the time that I was there. I had mm-hmm. uh, the chaotic presidency of Donald Trump. We had the pandemic and his handling of it. You had the Black yeah. Lives Matter protest movement. Uh, there was so much happening in quick succession and then an unbelievable election followed by the storming of the Capitol building. Donald Trump still pushing the false narrative that the election was stolen from him. So it really was, I think, professionally, uh, I was fortunate to have a front yeah. row seat really on these massive, massive events. It was an unbelievable time to be there. It, it was. So you were, an, you were an eyewitness to history. I, 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 I dropped hints in the family before Christmas that amongst the books that I wanted to come into the house was uh, was yours for uh, four oh, years you. in the cauldron. Um, sadly, nobody did. So I think on sort of <laughs> Steve, Stephen's Day or the whatever, I, I just I just got up myself uh, and, uh, and, and and read it. I think I read the whole thing in about 48 hours. It is, um, it, it's completely compelling. I mean, you listed some of the things uh, that, that, that you witnessed and, and your, your access, but uh, look, what a lifestyle. So, so what was it like when you got yourself and the family over to Washington and you settled in? Um, what was a typical day? Were you, were you waiting to hear what came out of the White House or were you, uh, you know, researching places you might go yourself? Would you ring RT and say, do you know what? I want to go off to Oregon uh, to meet an Irish guy over there. So that's a long haul flight. Will you will you guys pay the bill and I'll file something? So I would take my time in the US and split it in two, not an even two. It was three years of Donald Trump and one year of Joe Biden. Three years of yeah. Donald Trump. Your day was dictated by that Donald Trump tweet in the morning or whatever he said or whatever he did. And for three years and all US correspondents from stations around the world would identify with this. He dictated your day and everything that happened Mm. was through the prism of Donald Trump. Such was his looming presence over everything. So whether it was Black Lives Matter or the pandemic, which technically didn't have anything to do with him. We ended up reporting his reaction to it. You then moved into the Joe Biden presidency and Connor, it was like a switch went. So Joe Biden was inaugurated Mm. on the 20th of January, which of course was a huge story. And then for a couple of days in late January, early February, it was very exciting because we had this new president doing all these things. And then all of a sudden there was no news coming out of the White House anymore. It's just <laughs> and my predecessors, so Katrina Perry, of course, had the Trump presidency. Yeah, yeah. Prior to her, Richard Downs, Robert Short, Carol Coleman, they would sort of tell you, you know what, day to day, you don't do a lot of White House stories until Trump came in because Barack Obama wasn't, you know, that interesting that there was something every yeah, no, day. No, no, no drama. Yeah, yeah, no drama Obama. Was, no uh, drama Obama. And then it was similar with Joe Biden. So what you said there about, oh, you bring them up and say, I want to do a story in Oregon. Yes, is the answer. And that was, was really interesting about my time there. So let's say you'd imagine I had these three years of the Trump presidency, which was very Washington based, very, very busy. But then one year of, because Washington got quieter, being able to look at things like climate yeah. change. We went to California and do a climate change story. Went down to the border of Texas to do an immigration story. All those wonderful tales that is really important and a very, very important part of the Washington Correspondent. Remember, your title is Washington Correspondent, which really, of course, is America. So it's lovely to get out of Washington and do those stories. And certainly the final year afforded me those opportunities. Yeah, I know uh, loads of Irish people when they do America that, you know, they sort of, they they probably do New York, they do Boston, um, you probably get to Florida. um, but, But 
but you, you, you clearly you're, you're not seeing the, the whole of them. You're not seeing the real America that way. And, and if, if you were to only be the Washington correspondent, uh, you'd probably get a very distorted view. But I'm much more interested in what you found in, in, in that other year when you went out into America. Um, I mean, one of your anecdotes in the book is visiting a gun show, um, which we all kind of know, but literally bric-a-brac stalls with semi-automatic weapons and, and teenagers buying them. It's stupefying, isn't it? It's unbelievable. These enormous machine guns that you would ever see on a battlefield or even some of the handguns that you'd see in the movies, and they're just there on display. And what used to strike me as well was the merchandise surrounding it. You know, these T-shirts yes. saying, protect our Second Amendment right to bear arms. Little baby grows saying, baby loves guns. Or little T-shirts for girls saying, mama loves her guns. All this kind of stuff, mugs, everything. And then, of course, the Trump, and again, sorry uh, to, talk, yeah. to mention the T-word, but the Trump- The T-word. Yeah, so, so, so Donald Trump, again, when you were doing a gun story, he was everywhere because the gun lobby absolutely loved him. So all yeah. the T-shirts and posters had Trump loves guns, Trump will respect your amendment. You know, so it was another one of these dividing lines in the state. Yeah. The US. And, uh, you know, the uh, gun issue, I think, is fascinating for Irish people, but certainly fascinating for me because it's just not a thing in Ireland. There's no, yeah, I know. so limited. And to see the level of love that they have for their guns yeah. and just to see them on display in this way is unbelievable. And the gun show was one thing. I went to a couple of gun shows. But I went to just before the pandemic. It was January 2020. Virginia, mm. state of Virginia, were looking at bringing in tighter gun laws. So there was this huge gun protest yeah. where you were encouraged to bring your weaponry. And my goodness me, these enormous rifles and machine yeah. guns. And you're interviewing these people and they're talking about the right to bear arms while they, while they are literally bearing their arms in front of you. So it is a, a fascinating, fascinating debate. I mean, I mean I, I, for me, that's one of the things that really feels like makes it feel like a, a different world, let alone a different country and i sort of get the historically where it's coming from i mean you know the the, the legacy of independence a tendency to distrust central government and, and and belief in personal freedoms and and the right to bear arms somehow got got pulled into all of that so you can't have a sensible conversation about the right to bear arms the way that you might have a conversation about drunk driving for example uh, and the americans aren't great on road safety either um but i think one of the things that certainly became worse or became more pronounced while you were there is this tendency for absolutely everything to be part of the culture war. Um, yeah, everything was a fight. Any, the pandemic really highlighted that because the mask wearing or a ooh. vaccine or the closures, it became so political. So in the Democrat-controlled cities and states, you saw mask mandates, you saw closures. Yeah. In the Republican-controlled cities and states, it was a very, very different. And we travelled. And I want to talk mm. about driving because, of course, driving in the yeah, States we're gonna get is amazing. And as you well know Americans think nothing about driving hours and hours and we got into that culture and I'd say one of the longest drives my wife and I did was 13 hours in one day and we drove from DC down to Tennessee uh, we broke we shared it obviously and took lots of breaks but we did that in one day and when you leave liberal Democrat Washington DC yeah and go to your Tennessees or your Georgias or your Texases, it's very different. Mm. And that was really highlighted during the pandemic. And you mentioned the book earlier, I have a piece in the book where we were in Savannah, Georgia, and it was if yeah. the, the height of the pandemic and the numbers were huge going through the roof in the States. Washington was very locked down. Everybody was wearing masks. Everything was closed. And then, of course, we went down to Georgia. 
nothing. It's like the pandemic and, yeah, didn't. Like, it, like it's not going on. And I, I, I wonder, could that have been avoided? I mean, from the very, very start, before anybody even appreciated what the pandemic was going to be, Trump seemed to immediately invest his political capital in pretending it would go away. And, and, and he probably knew within a week that that had been the wrong call. But Donald Trump has never admitted a wrong call in his life, has he? He always just doubles down and doubles down and doubles down. Um, so he, he made it. You know, masks didn't have to be part of the culture war, but he made it so. Isn't that the case? Like a leader could be judged by how they handle a crisis. And some people say to me, if he had just stepped back from the start and said, look, listen to Dr. Fauci, whatever he says, do it. Yeah. But as you said, he invested in this. He saw the pandemic as stealing his chance of re-election because his best chance of re-election, and he had a very good chance, remember, of being oh, yeah. re-elected back in January yeah. 2020, was this very, very strong economy. The Democrats were tearing each other apart. They couldn't find a candidate. Lots of the candidates were weak. Mm-hmm. It looked like he was going to walk back into the White House for a while. Then the pandemic yeah. hit and it hit the economy and everything had to shut down. So he did what Donald Trump does, which is divide and conquer and create an enemy and even invent a nickname. Crooked Hillary, Lying Ted, China yeah. virus. It was China's fault. China even virus, the yeah, the virus, Kung flu. The Kung uh, flu. So even the virus gets the nickname. Even the virus gets the attack in the same way he attacks all his enemies. But it didn't work on this occasion. The reason it didn't work is, of course, he has his rock solid support base, 75 mm. million votes. He got loads of votes. Don't get me wrong. They're still yeah. a pretty popular guy. He could be back in two years, as we all know. But the moderates in the middle, I mm. think. And when he started going down that route of, oh, maybe we could ingest disinfectant, uh, don't well, wear a mask, don't use flu, go away. Yeah. This, this kind of crazy stuff. I think moderate voters in the middle, they had to walk away from him at that point, And it, it really, really did damage him. And then that one yeah. Trump card, pardon the pun he had, of a strong economy, of course, evaporated as well because of the pandemic. So uh, I, I, it, on, it, on it, a practical it, level, his big rallies disappeared as well. Uh, yeah, because that was of course, and that was his strength to be on a rally stage. And uh, that's where he got his power. Uh, he was good at it. He was much better yeah. at it than Joe Biden. But then that didn't matter because they couldn't have rallies anyway. Uh, Joe Biden, you know, yeah. was cocooning in his basement for most of the campaign. And in a weird twist of fate, that suited him too, because he's not the best media performer, not yeah. the best speech maker. So that lockdown campaign suited Joe Biden and absolutely scuppered Donald Trump. Yeah, well, I wonder, as you were over there, I mean, when Trump left office, you began your more um, uh, traveling year in the US and you got to do some of the interesting stuff. But, but actually, that might have been a good way to witness it because Donald Trump didn't go away. And, and from the outside looking in, you know, you, you would say, OK, this thing has clearly run its course. Uh, he had a very poor pandemic. Uh, the moderates are calling him out on BS. The, the, the old rallying cries just sound shrill because he's not being effective. Then you have the farce of, of denying the election result and, and, and the tragedy of the Capitol Hill riots. Uh, so, you know, on the 7th of January, surely to God, everybody would have said, well, look, this thing has run its course. The Republicans are going to have to pivot back to the center, put up a, a Mitt Romney or something and try and be a political party again. Um, but as you were touring America, the, the opposite was happening, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And people still adamant that the election was stolen. And it used to be, I mean, I had my playbook where I would interview Trump supporters and they would say this was stolen. And they always had some story. But, oh, I saw this thing last night on the Internet where a guy came in and changed all the votes in the machine. And you'd say that is just not true. And it was investigated. And it's not true. Oh, but you're part of the machine. So I was part of the lie then, you see, in their media. I was spreading the lie. And everybody was wrong. 
except Donald Trump. And that, you see, continued a theme, Connor, throughout mm. my time covering him. They loved him because he was the outsider. He was the non-politician. He was the yeah. billionaire businessman who was going to drain the swamp and come in and uproot the establishment. And when the establishment, including Republicans, turned against him, his core support base then turned against them. Remember, they wanted to yeah. hang Mike Pence on the 6th of January. That is his vice president. Yeah. He's the Republican. And yeah. they didn't care. It just became about Donald Trump versus everybody else. And you may or may not have seen, but just this weekend gone, Donald Trump had mm. a rally and he spoke about how, well, if I get back into power, I'll be pardoning the January 6th rioters. He was you know? bullish, wasn't he? And, and yeah. he seemed to be oh, saying that he was going to run again. Yeah. And they're being mistreated. And if he gets back in. So, I mean, he certainly hasn't gone away. He's still very much there in the background. And yeah, speaking to people out there, they firmly believe the big lie, as they call it, that the election yeah. was stolen and that he is the real winner. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's a pet theory that if you compare it to, to Brexit in the UK, uh, for 40 years, any lazy politician, any lazy barstool uh, used to just bitch about the EU and anything that was wrong in your life, well, it's the EU. Um, and that just became unchallenged, part of the background noise of conversation for 40 years. Um, and in, in the US, is it the same, but just substitute the word Washington? And um, so, you know, anything that's wrong, it's Washington's fault. Yeah. Big yeah. government, that's the expression they love here. And Republicans hate big government. And they're always accusing the Democrats of being pro-government and pro-imposing things on your life. And I think we very much saw that again during the pandemic, rebelling against the mask. I mean, I remember my parents telling me who were in their 70s of, remember that yeah. very, very first lockdown in Ireland where you couldn't leave and roadblocks yeah. and guards were asking where you were going. Could you imagine if they tried that in the US? It wouldn't have lasted 30 seconds. Like yeah. To get people to, to wear a mask or to close a business, business in the US was the biggest deal in the world. And we'd all these anti-lockdown protests. And coming back to one of the earlier points we discussed about the right to bear arms, Americans are very invested in their rights and the yes. Constitution. And this is my freedom. And I have fought for this. And you cannot make me do this. And you cannot tell me what to do. And I think that was a big problem with the vaccine hesitancy we saw at the start yeah. in the US. Remember, Connor, they had all the vaccines in the world. They had huge supplies. And, and in fairness, in, in fairness to Trump, he did, um, I mean, even while he was making flippant remarks about bleach and all that, he did really light a rocket under the pharmaceutical industry and pour billions and a moonshot worth of billions into the effort to it. You know, that's to his credit, to be fair. It is. It is. And I've always said that to, about him, that he did this Operation Warp Speed. He, he that's went what he's called. Yeah. Yeah. Like what he did differently to uh, Europe, there was a good expression at the time that Europe shopped like a customer for vaccines, whereas the US had gone into business with the pharmaceuticals in the first place. So Trump ponied yeah. up several billion and said, I want in on these vaccines whenever they're ready and when they were ready, the Americans got first call and they had them. But how sad it was then that so many people said, yeah, I'm not taking that because yeah, you're telling me to take it and you can't tell me to take it. And what struck me in the States and, you know, in the general anti-vax movement is that you had these people who would say, I'm not putting that weird foreign chemical into my body, even though it's approved by everybody. Yeah. But I'm happy to take horse dewormer tablets because some guy on the internet said this would cure me instead. You know, I mean, it was yeah, a bizarre. Well, I, I, I mean, these conspiracy theorists, theorists, you know, evidence literally bounces off them. If they find no evidence, that's proof of the conspiracy. It's um, you certainly can't penetrate them with logic. Um, more generally about Americans, one of the things that I recall my sort of road safety hat on over the years is that America's road safety record is actually remarkably poor. Over the last 20 years, 
years, every developed country in the world has hugely improved on road deaths. All over Europe, road deaths are down by half. Or in Ireland, road deaths are down by two thirds. Um, in the US, they've made no such progress because, I mean, they, they resist things like federal seatbelt laws, for example. I mean, they're very ambivalent on on drinking and driving. And, and all of this is sort of, again, sent because their locus is personal freedoms, personal freedom. If, if you are impinging on a personal freedom, you got to have a really, really good reason. Um, so do, did you, does that mindset, did, does that make sense? Is that how America... No, absolutely. And I, and I saw it. And the, the, the drink driving in particular, there's a very different mindset, you know, in Ireland, and correctly so, we're planning on going and having a few beers, you arrange alternate transport. They don't do that there, you know, yeah. in Virginia. Well, we didn't we 20 years ago. No, we didn't. And when my father tells me stories, I realized yeah. we didn't. But in my kind of time of driving, it was always very, you know, but what I found interesting in the, in the US, I, I, for an example, so where we were in Washington, D.C., you go over the state line and you're in Virginia and there's some lovely vineyards in Virginia and you go for a day mm. trip to the vineyard or a winery, as they call them, and have these samples and blah, blah, blah. And one day someone said, oh, let's do this. So my wife and my reaction was, Will we get a minibus then? You know, and yeah, yeah. We like, no, 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 we'll drive. And, you know, just this attitude of, no, we didn't. Uh, we would yeah, always yeah. arrange, or if we did, we'd have designated driver. You know, there mm. was an attitude of, Ashley would have a few and it'll be grand, we'll get behind the wheel. Definitely in the US that you do not have in Ireland. I most definitely yeah. saw that. I found the driving as well very aggressive, uh, particularly in Washington, D.C. Mm. Very difficult to change lanes. And almost when you're trying to change a lane, you almost feel like they're cutting you off, you know? Yeah. There's not as much you know, let someone out that we have uh, in Ireland. The use of the horn I found very interesting, the beep. So my cameraman, Murray, who I spent a huge amount yeah. of time in his car. His yeah, Murray's pilot, mentioned a lot of pilot the SUV, he had a fabulous big SUV that we would travel around in. And he'd be beep, beep, beep. I said, well, what, what are you beeping for? Oh, I'm letting him out. So when you did let someone out, you yeah. beeped to let them out, which I always found very interesting. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, okay. it's a different driving style, quite aggressive. And then, yes, as you say, when it comes to the seatbelts and the drink driving, a far more laissez-faire attitude than we would be used yeah. to in Europe. And one of the defining features, they drive for bonkers distances. You were mentioning that as well. I think the only country like it is Australia. I remember talking to an Australian guy once who said that he would think nothing of driving uh, 150 kilometers for dinner. Um, yeah. uh, and, and so, and you you bought into that? Did you did you drive all the time? We did, the yeah, yeah. When we so when we got over there, we, we did not want to spend any big kind of money on a car. We said Let, let's get something that would do us for the four years. So we bought a 2007 Kia Optima. Now, Connor, I oh, wanted right. a Buick uh -huh. or a Lincoln or a oh, Chevrolet well, or a Cadillac yeah. or something that we didn't have in Ireland. But my brother, who lives in Philadelphia and has for 20 years, said, "Good God, don't buy an American car." And really? then all yeah. my friends, even the Americans, said, "Good God, don't buy an American car." So we ended up going for a Kia, which was fine. It never gave us any trouble. It was a great car. We had a Kia Optima, and we put tens of thousands of miles on that, not from a daily commute, because we didn't daily commute in it. We took road trips as far north as Michigan, as far south as Tennessee, Georgia, and South Carolina. And we would just did, drive and did, drive and drive did, on the weekends. It was fabulous. Did, did, did you do, I mean, it was one of the bits in the book where you say you're, you're crossing a state line and the girls are in the car. What are these marathon drives? Uh, and you say you don't notice the difference other than you know a sign saying, welcome to, uh, and that's another state ticket off and uh, yeah. did, did you take off them all in four years no uh oh god i should have had my count ready for you so of the 50 states i think i was in the 30s which i was pretty proud of and yeah. the girls and joanna were in the mid to high 20s so we did okay it would did be difficult okay. to get you know you got your alaskas and uh well, I, for, I forgive you hawaii and alaska exactly you know we didn't we did i didn't do too badly to be fair and a lot of course most of that would have been work based what i found was that you went to the same places again and again you know new york constantly yeah. i was i was in uh, dc obviously all the time and then constant trips up and down to new york 
York for various ministerial visits or the United Nations or Conor yeah. McGregor who found himself in court. Conor McGregor, my lord. Travelling with Expressway and your free travel pass is made easier with a reserved seat. When booking journeys at expressway.ie, make sure to select seat-only reservation free travel scheme and pay just two euro per trip to guarantee your seat. Bookings can also be made from ticket machines in stations and priority boarding will be given to those who book in advance. Travel without a booking is still more than welcome, if you prefer, provided we have space on board. Take it easy with your free travel pass and expressway.ie. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. There was always a reason to go to New York. You know, there would have been, might have been a crime or something involving an Irish person that that, that would that would have uh, you. Up and, there. And, and, and not not always Conor McGregor, but sometimes. Not always Conor McGregor. No, no, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. There, there, there were, well, there were I, other reasons, and there were some very positive reasons. I remember I did a Katie Taylor fight in Madison Square Garden. Uh, well, now you're uh, talking. It was fascinating thing to cover. She 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 won. She 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 beat the yeah. Belgian uh, Bristoon with that night. It was uh, it was a great it was a great a great event. So no, look, I was very privileged. Got to cover huge ground over there. But, uh, you know, I mean, my memories of the driving as well, of course, and anybody who's driven in the US, it's just the width of the highways, you know, six yeah. and seven lanes. Yeah. And I remember there was a particular route when we would go from our house to Dulles Airport, uh, either to drop someone off or connect someone mm. or travel ourselves. Sometimes the sat-nav would take us this way, oh Lord, and we would enter <laughs> the highway and have to cross five lanes of traffic for our exit Ouch. almost immediately. It was terrifying. We'd pray that it would take us at an alternate route. And oftentimes we would program in the alternate route because it's yeah, terrifying. So you've got to be brave. you you, you, yeah. you got to be brave. Um, off, the, off the roads, and again, this comes through in the book, um, I, I think you get a little bit of an advantage talking to ordinary Americans because you're Irish. I mean, there are parts of America where the, the sight of a guy with a, with a camera and a microphone is inviting hostility. Um, but if you're Irish, you're kind of almost neutral in the culture wars. So there's a couple of incidents in the book where you're, you're talking to a Trump supporter. And the first part of the conversation is reassuring them that, you know, you're not there to stitch them up. You're not part of what they would see as fake media. Uh, and being Irish helps there. So you had good conversations with some of those people, didn't you? You did. And what would the, the, the typical playbook was that you'd go to a Donald Trump rally and he'd stand up on the stage. And at some point, and actually did it the other night, you'll go look yeah. at the fake news media down the back. They're all a bunch of liars. Boo. And then everybody boos and they all turn around and boo you and shout at you. But then what I would do then is come out afterwards and have to interview these same people. Yeah. But yeah, you had this mic flag that said RTE. They didn't know what that was. And you explained you were from an Irish television station. And then it wasn't CNN or it wasn't Fox. So that carried a lot of weight because they felt, well, I don't know what this person is, so I don't think yeah. he's one way or the other. And you would assure them that you're just going to report things in a balanced and fair and neutral fashion, which I always did, which RTE always does. 
Unfortunately, in the US, as you know, the media is far more polarized yeah. and one goes one way and the other goes the other way. But what I noticed, Connor, was a switch. So that would have been during the campaign. That was the, mm-hmm. the Trump rallies. What happened then, I think, after Donald Trump lost the election and started pushing the falsehoods that had been stolen from him, there was a switch in his supporters. And even I, the Irish media who they had never heard of before, I was still I was seen as the enemy then as well. Everybody was yeah. the enemy. Everybody well, they was were the hostility. And we got shouted at and followed. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to over-egg things. We were never attacked or anything. But there were certain moments where you would feel unsafe, where what, what would happen is me and my cameraman would be doing our live report into the six o'clock or the nine o'clock news. And I would see out of the corner of my eye that yeah. a group of Trump supporters would stop and listen. I would be reporting the facts that Donald Trump lost yeah. the election and that it was not stolen. And of course, this would make them extremely angry. Thankfully, nine times out of ten, they would wait until we'd finished the report to start shouting at me. Yeah. Uh, had they done it during the live report, it would have been a bit more complicated. Is, but, that, is that because uh, American uh, right-wing militants are still American, which means they have a, they're de- by default, they're polite. Uh, yes. You know. yes. Excuse and, me, sir, you're a disgraceful yeah. member of this fake media. Exactly. Everything begins with sir and ma'am before they go on to absolutely hack <laughs> you. Yeah. And what I found in general, moving aside for politics, just to do the old fashioned vox pop, where you're standing on the street and you're saying, yes. what do you think about X? What do you think about Y? As you well know, you could be standing on Grafton Street for half an hour and people don't really want to talk to the media a lot of the time, depending on the topic. In America, they love television. So you would stand there with your camera and nine times out of ten, someone would come up to you and say, what are you doing today? Great. Oh, I'll talk to you, you know? Yeah. So that, that certainly made things easier. They have a love of media and a love of television. Uh, but as I say, very suspicious then of which media and which television, yeah. depending on the, the polarizing political view of it. So, so how, how do you think it's going to go for them? I, I mean, it's always it's it's a country that we we feel enormously about. It's always been our beacon. It's, it's full of Irish people, um, uh, you know, a, a world in which America doesn't have a bright future. You know, it's hard to be optimistic about that world. Um, but here they are. They're 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 fractured at the moment. They're sort of, they're torturing themselves. Biden is, well, shall we be? He, 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 he's he's not a charismatic, strong president to all appearances. He may even be physically frail. Um, you could have a, a rejuvenated Donald Trump um, and, and we could have another bitter and angry election coming up. How do you see it going for them, Brian? Yeah, I think for a lot of people, Biden has been a disappointment. He has struggled. Uh, his approval ratings are extremely low. I think the sense in America, particularly for Democrats, was we have to get rid of Donald Trump. And I remember even yeah. during the campaign, speaking to people when Joe Biden was the clear front runner for a period of time, a lot of Democrats would say he's not perfect, but he's he's grand. We just need somebody. We need yeah. somebody now to get rid of the other guy. And that worked. And they got rid of him. Mm. And then in came Joe Biden and his first few months were fine. And then, of course, look, the, the, the catalogue of problems are there. Uh, some of them outside of his control. You know, the, the yeah. pandemic took a long time to recover from in the US. Big vaccine hesitancy, economic problems, high inflation, mm. other problems. Then the border crisis, um, yeah. the, the US-Mexico border continues to be a big, big problem, arguably worse now than it was under the Trump presidency. You also had the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan. So he has had a series of difficulties that mm. damaged his approval rate things. As you say, not the most charismatic, not the best speech deliverer, not the most inspiring of presidents, but they knew that going in. They knew yeah. that about Joe Biden going in, but they just needed to get rid of the other guy. But now the other guy hasn't really gone at all and he's still there. So big questions. And of course, the constant question about Joe Biden, he gets asked it all the time. Are you actually running for the second yeah. term? Due to his age, uh, he keeps saying he is. He has to say he is because the, the day he says he isn't, he becomes, he becomes a lame duck. Yeah. 
Yeah. So look, there's huge questions ahead. Uh, just last week, they announced my replacement, Sean Whelan. And yeah. he is going to have the most fascinating time because you are going to have a struggling incumbent, big questions over how he's doing, the rise yeah. of Donald Trump in the yeah. background. It is going to be the most fascinating election. The first big test of the waters will be this November for the midterm elections yeah. where the control of the Senate and the House of Representatives is up for grabs. As you know, it's the Democrats have both at the moment, but only by the tiniest mm. of margins. And normally, at the best of times, the party of the president does badly in a midterm election. Yeah. Everybody is expecting a bad, bad election for the Democrats. That will, number one, they lose control of Congress. So whatever hope Joe Biden had of getting his last bits yeah. of legislation through will be gone. And number two, it'll raise big questions about the presidential campaign. And then I remember my time there was 2018. uh, The Democrats regained control of uh, the House and the Senate. And then it was like someone hit the fast forward button before the election. That midterm election really Mm. is the starting gate. The starting pistol is fired and you're straight into the presidential election then just two years later. Yeah. Um, So it'll never be boring. Sean Whelan can be assured of that. Um, It's a four year posting, RTE. It's like a presidential term almost. But um, I, I think by custom, RTE don't extend it beyond that, do they? It's always been four years. Uh, It used to map a presidential term exactly, I think, but between the jigs and the reels and people leaving and people coming right now, it's three and one, which I actually really like. I like it. It was great. It was great to see the contrast and what a contrast I had. I had three years, uh, as I explained at the start, three years of Trump and then the one year of Biden, um, which really was a a great way to see both sides. Uh, It's a four year term. I think that's a good duration for it. I had the best four years of my life over there professionally it was unbelievable you got to do so much happy to hand over the baton to Sean <laughs> and he is going to have a whale of a time he really is I, I I always describe it like a roller coaster and you just cling on yeah. and you ride that roller coaster and you know it's for the four-year period and uh you yeah. know enjoy every minute of it and I, I certainly I, did you never knew what was coming next the unpredictability and the uh, surprise factor was always there particularly again during those trump years yeah. and then as i say during that quieter biden year that afforded you the opportunity to do some off diary stuff and to explore more of the country which was fascinating yeah fantastic uh, fantastic so so you must have enjoyed it so back in dublin um now you're a cork man originally so i don't know whether uh, um you, you you were inclined to go all, all the way all the way back to Cork uh, in Ireland's deep south <laughs> um, on, 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 on moving home yeah well we still have my wife is Cork as well so two sets oh. of grandparents uh, sorry two, two sets of parents um, yeah. my wife's grandmother actually is still with us as well thankfully so lots of family to visit down in Cork uh, so we're on the road constantly interesting to be back in Ireland now driving mm. again here you get used to it I was listening to your Theresa Mannion episode a few weeks oh, ago yeah. you were speaking about the automatic I loved the automatic in the US and Conor Falkland riddle me this why are automatics not bigger in Ireland I think they're in I know, I know, because it's the te- I mean, originally they were a more advanced technology and more expensive, uh, so manual was cheaper. And then Europeans just had a, a bias in favour of uh, manual. I think it's changing now. All the electrics are um, are, are effectively they drive like yeah. automatics. Um, but it's a big thing with Americans to claim they can drive stick, oh, stick, uh, stick, uh, stick when, when they idea. actually can't. Yeah, uh, I borrowed uh, a friend's Volkswagen towards the end when we'd sold our own car, and he said, "No, it's stick," and I said. 
That's all I know. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what, that's what I grew up yeah. with. It, so that's fine. That's not when a problem. You, we, we used to deal with the, um, you know, for car breakdowns, we used to deal with American tourists. It'd be a very, very common thing because rather stupidly, a, hard, a car hire company in Dublin airport charges more for an automatic than it does oh, for a manual. Okay. So the Americans look at this and say, hey, I can drive stick. You can't drive stick. I drove stick. And, and you know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But he finds out in the airport roundabout that actually he cannot drive stick. Um, do, do, do you not find that when you have to get used to an I've had this with rental cars on holidays over the years. Uh, getting used to the opposite steering wheel is difficult enough. The automatic gives you that extra help yeah. because you don't have to worry about the gear stick, you know? So I think if you're trying to get used to a new side of the road, automatic mm. is definitely the way to go because then you don't have to worry about the gears. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's my experience in Europe whenever I do drive in yeah. Europe. Um, I, it's not too bad initially of kind of following the car in front, but if you're threading your way around the country in strange places. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. And so I, I have a sort of a mental picture of you and your Kia Optima having having to dodge pickup trucks somewhere down in the deep south and, and you know, looking at Trump bumper stickers passing you by and not know beasts these ford <laughs> f-150 things and they've got the big tires and i mean the the american guy i mean i i love my my go my my uh type i mean i i won't say but i love a big saloon or as they would call mm. them a sedan and of course everything is yeah. huge over there and what i had not uncovered before and you'll know this are the infinity and the acura and the infinity mm. is a fancy nissan and the acura is a fancy honda we just don't have yeah. them in europe and they're absolutely beautiful these yeah. big big high-powered saloons and of course they can drive their big high-powered saloons because the gas is the gas is the bloody price you know but it's going up price. a lot but it's still it's so um, much cheaper over there it's, it's one of the reasons why gas prices over there is, is is usually a big ticket item because there's virtually no tax yeah. on it so a, a litre of gas in, in Ireland is three times the American well I think oh, in a, I, I used to give people the example of so the Kia Optima would be the equivalent of a two liter, yeah, in Ireland, yeah. which you know, what, you tell me what you're two, 80, 90 euro probably now to fill up yeah. the pumps. They're $30. Thirty dollars, and they give out about it. But the, the fact, that oh yeah, no, yeah, that's yeah. expensive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the ironies in that is the fact that there's very little tax means that it's much more responsive to the oil price. So if yes, the oil yes. price doubles, American gas prices go up at the pumps by 50 percent. They're still true. paying nothing compared to what we pay in Ireland, but 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 it just looks much more volatile. So yeah. presidents yeah. routinely have to declare what they're going to do about the gas price. It's just one of those. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember Joe Biden last year. You know, spoke about the, unleashing the gas reserve to bring the prices down and all these kind of things. It's a big, big ticket item, an election loser or winner for presidents. It's a, it's a big, big thing over there. Yeah, there you go. Um, and I suppose the, the last thing to touch on, just to bring up with you about uh, about America and about just looking at ordinary life uh, amongst Americans is is the race thing. Uh, one of their, you know, that predates Trump. It's a, a you know, it's a, a, a deep-seated malaise in American society. And I was looking at something or was I reading something? I, there, was a, there was a group of kids in New York uh, all sort of late teens, early 20s, and they were a mix of black and white. And they were just being asked by the guy, have you ever been stopped and searched uh, by the cops? Um, and all the white kids were sort of slightly looking puzzled, going, nah, well, no. And, and every black hand went up. And, and you know, every black youngster had had the experience multiple times. It, it's a deep fault line, isn't it? 
It really is. I remember at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement being down outside the White House for one of the big protests and just speaking to people down there. And I spoke to a mother and daughter, uh, both African-American, and the mother had a story that she said for a period of time she had her hair cut short. She would constantly get stopped while driving because the police thought she was a man. And there's this expression in the US, uh, you're only guilty of driving while black and that you would just get stopped just for being a black man. Her daughter, this lady, the the mom had done quite well professionally. I think the daughter went to a very good school in whatever city they lived in. And um, the school system in the US is very address based. If you live in a good address, you go to the good school, you know, you have to live in the catchment area. It's quite strict. Because she was black, she was constantly being asked by teachers and administrative staff, are you sure you're in the right school? You know, just this constant, yeah. or they would tell you the story of being followed in the, in the in the store. You come in and straight away you feel the eyes of the security guard on you just because yeah. of the African-American in the store. And, and, being stopped, and, and being stopped in traffic. I mean, this is something that you could never appreciate in Europe. But 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 if, if, if an American cop is stopping uh, a car with a couple of black young men in it, um, Everybody involved in that incident is terrified. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody is thinking, you know, a, a wrong word, a false hand movement, and there could be bullets in the air and people dying. Yeah, and it's, the, it's you know, we saw. I mean, the, the George Floyd murder was so shocking and so yeah. awful being knelt on on the ground in that way and it being captured on camera. And of course, that began the entire wave of Black Lives Matter protests in 2020. I mean, I guess that was such that a happened, huge... That happened moment. with Rodney King 20 years ago, though, yeah. Brian, didn't it in a similar way? And the big question, well, what changes and what, what, what happens? I mean, all I can speak of is in my period of time there, it was fascinating to see that if 2020 was the protest movement year, which had huge mm. positives going for it because you saw all races, all ages, yeah. getting the posters and joining in the campaign. and, Inclu- and, and include, including, for, your, including your daughters. Who would, my who daughter would only did, been, yeah. What, you know, 13 and, and 9 or something at the time. Yeah, we'll have a story in the book of uh, my daughter. They used to get the cardboard. I have one of them yeah. over there, actually, one of, the, one of their posters, <laughs> and they would write Black Lives Matter with the crayon, and they'd go out. And Lucy, my who at the time was 11, she or she was 10, actually, and herself and her mm. friend Blake disappeared. I said, where are you going? She said, we're going to the protest. Not the time, there was protests everywhere. So I went yeah. up to check on them. And it was just Lucy and her friend. There were the only two people there. And I said, did no one else turn up? And they said, oh, no, this was our protest. So there they were in their street corner holding up their little, uh, little thing. So that was fascinating to see the embracing of it. And then people always ask me, well, did it change anything? And will anything change? And the systemic racism, and it'll never change. And it's been around for years. I mean, again, all I, I could say, 2020, I think, was the year of the protest on the street. 2021 saw it move into the courtroom. Mm-hmm. And there we saw contrasting things happening as well and you mean you saw Derek Chauvin the killer of George yeah. Floyd being found guilty getting a lengthy sentence and there was of course relief and welcoming of that in many many quarters but then you also had this case of Kyle Rittenhouse who was the young man who the shot people yeah. yeah at this Black Lives Matter protest in Kenosha Wisconsin and he got off and that generated this more debate about race and about guns and gun mm-hmm. ownership and self-defense and when isn't it self-defense and the entire black lives matter movement became very political because of course it happened in an election year yeah. and it became very much us versus them donald trump in his usual divisive way very much exploiting it to say the democrats are the say, ones. Yeah. yeah it didn't it didn't have to be that way tr- 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 you know trump would try and be fair to him and i think you always have been and um, but there are things that he chose to make divisive that didn't need to be and i think absolutely you know and he he, tw- he tweeted infamously uh, when the looting starts the shooting yeah, starts that's and right, then he yeah. would 
criticize the Democrat-controlled cities uh, where there were more protests taking place. And it just became this huge divisive issue of rather than focusing on the calls for criminal justice Mm -hmm. reform, he chose to focus on that side of the protest movement that did bring vandalism and it did bring destruction. But that was the minority. That was not in every case. Mm -hmm. But he focused on that and it was a law and order. Re-elect me. I'll be your law and order president. If you elect a Democrat, it'll be chaos. Yeah, I, I wonder. So is it is there there's a Trump base to, to give it a, a nickname that's probably false, but there's that sort of conservative Republican suspicion of suspicious of Washington. Uh, don't put a seatbelt on me. Don't take away my gun. Uh, and, 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 you know, it, virtually anything you say, I'm going to treat with default suspicion. Uh, that's one camp. On the other camp, you have the, it's sort of the progressives, progressives, if you like. I mean, some of which some of whom are close to that American swear word socialism. <laughs> uh, you know, your your AOCs and people like that. So have you got sort of a left camp and a right camp? And, and like many countries, the actual election decided by the moderate middle. So what I'm sort of hoping in the, you know, a path to a bright future is is, is that it's it's the moderate middle so that, you know, the, the, the extremists have to moderate to, uh, to win power. Yeah, I mean, what you need, I suppose, in that scenario is for that Trump rump support base to just not be enough to get you over the line and that you need something more moderate. And there was a very interesting uh, governor race in Virginia just uh, November just gone, where Glenn Youngkin, the Republican candidate, beat Terry McAuliffe, the Democrat. And that was a big surprise because Terry McAuliffe Mm. had been the favorite. And they said that Glenn Youngkin, the Republican did a clever thing whereby he walked this very narrow path. He didn't annoy Donald Trump. He kind of got endorsed by Donald Trump. He kind of accepted the endorsement, but he didn't campaign with Donald Trump. He never Mm. spoke about Donald Trump. He didn't invite Donald Trump onto a campaign stage with him. So he ticked the Trump box and kept those supporters happy. But then at the same time, also was far enough away from Trump that he got the moderates back and he managed to win the governor's race in Virginia. So what everybody's talking about now is that this is the roadmap. This is the Mm. playbook that Republicans will need this year to sort of move more to the middle, a fine line. But for that to work, Donald Trump has to play ball. Donald Trump allowed Glenn Youngkin to do that. He didn't come out yeah. and castigate him because he said, oh, this guy won't campaign with me. I'm here by withdrawing my endorsement of him. He's a disaster. You know, he he, he sort yeah. of stayed away as well. So he needs to play ball too. And yeah, it just raises big questions about where is the middle? Everything is so divided mm. right now and you're one way or you're the other. And that middle ground has just become so faded and fuzzy. And again, yeah, as I say, those... You, you, you'd hope that that's fertile ground for somebody. Uh, you know, Obama kind of was that when he came along, because again, to that, you know, white conservative base, he was black, but he wasn't scary black, you know, and, and you know, comported himself with dignity, spoke very well, uh, felt like a safe pair of hands. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people in America despise Obama, but uh, but enough in the moderate middle saw him as safe and he carried the day. Like if you look at the Democrat race last year or two years ago, rather, you had black, white, young, old, gay, straight, and they settled on a white guy in his 70s. Why? Because he had to beat the other white guy in his 70s. So to stem all of these divisions and races and different politics, you just have to be so kind of moderate and in the middle and all encompassing. Mm. That's why you ended up with Joe Biden, because he was the only guy who was going to beat Donald Trump in those circumstances. They backed the right guy from that regard, from a Democrat perspective, because it worked. But the big question now is if Biden doesn't run. I mean, the other big question mark here is Kamala Harris, whose approval yeah. ratings are lower than Joe Biden's. 
Um, so big concerns in the Democratic camp. If she was to be the heir apparent and he was to shuffle yeah. off and she was to take over and become the candidate, uh, she is not doing great at the moment either in the opinion polls. Yeah, that was one of George Bush Sr. had that problem with Dan Quayle, I recall. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the concerns was that it was a heartbeat away from putting in somebody um you know, who thought I was an idiot. I, I don't think Kamala Harris is an idiot, but uh, she doesn't appear to be beloved by the electorate. No, sure and she, she's had some difficult media interviews. She's been given these tough tasks of like fixing the border crisis mm, and yeah. sorting out voting, you know, things that she was never going to be able to do. But then it sort of looks like failure. So she is most definitely struggling. She's been quite invisible. And as mm. I say, those approval ratings are even worse than Joe Biden's. So look, there's big questions ahead for the US, but they are a country that is remarkable at reinventing itself and surviving. Yeah. They're resilient. They're confident. And in my book, I have lots of optimistic notes as yeah. well. And I remember the vaccine rollout, although mm. so many refused to get it. But my God, they swung into action this multi-billion dollar campaign. They converted yeah. this big old retail center uh, department store into this vaccination center where they were just rolling people through, vaccinating thousands and thousands of people a day. And that was back in January and February of last year at the start of it. I mean, they're the most amazing country in the world for innovation. Yeah. And, you know, people talk about oh, the U.S., uh, they don't make fridges anymore. They don't make TVs anymore. They've lost all that. Yeah, but they still invented the iPhone. And yeah. Google and Twitter and Facebook are all American. You know what I mean? So oh, it's the most dynamic. Yeah, it's the most dynamic and energetic and innovative economy in the world still. I mean, there's 300 and something million Americans, even if even if 150 million of them are just lazy consumers, that's another 150 million who are working really hard and, uh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, have been pushing the world forward. So we leave it to Sean Whelan to sort all of that out now. Absolutely. Um, it's his uh, job now. <laughs> you can get that fixed. Um, and, and, you, and you'll go back to what, you know, may feel like a mundane, a mundane day job. But, but you, did you get to pick it when you got back to RTE? Yeah. yeah, so basically the, the, the deal is when you come back, you, um, you have to apply. And, and this, so this role, I think, is going to be fascinating. So it is Ingrid Miley's old role of industrial relations, but they've changed yeah. the name to work. And I think that is just to reflect, you know, work now is, is, yeah, yeah. is, is, is home, is, is Zoom calls in your bedroom. And it's not the traditional workplace anymore. And then it's also bringing in the technology element, which I think is a really good marriage because mm -hmm. look at what you and I are doing now, having a Zoom well, yeah. conversation. So yeah, our yeah. work is, and, and of course, people will be well aware that that is changing and it's going to be more and more difficult to work from home now. And your employer has many, many reasons to say, no, you can't work from home. So yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of issues coming up on the industrial relations side, workers' I rights side, and of course, all of it then encompassing the technology element. So it's going to be a fascinating brief. It probably won't be as busy as Washington, but I think it'll definitely keep me busy uh, for the next few weeks and months. Very good, very good. So listen, I, I, I hope you've enjoyed your time as, as um, uh, you know, be, be, being daddy daycare uh, once again and getting the DIY done. Uh, a whole load of boxes to unpack there. Yes. Uh, the figure, out how you, figure out how you fit a giant American sofa into a small Dublin living room. It's keeping us up at night, believe me. And then, of course, you realise, <laughs> look, it's it's a good complaint to say you've too much stuff, but definitely a lot of the stuff is bigger in the... You know, yeah, everything's bigger in America. Everything's so it's bigger in America. <laughs> when it comes to interior design as well, I'm afraid. So, yeah, some yeah. challenges ahead of how to fit square pegs and round holes and all that. Yeah. But we, well, we'll, well listen, I, I, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Uh, and and we, should, we look forward to seeing you back on the telly. Um, uh, listen, Brian, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Um, the book, for anybody who hasn't seen it, is Four Years in the Cauldron. 
um, an absolutely fascinating read and a chapter of your life that you'll always have, won't you? I mean, you live to, you live yeah, to be 100, yeah. you can still look back. And, and the biggest thing for me to do the book was to just have something, uh, uh, a memento of the time, a chronicle of the time. And I was delighted when Penguin Publishing approached me and asked me to write it. And I said, absolutely. And it was the most wonderful experience and a very different experience, you know, from broadcast and script yeah. writing, Connor. It's short, 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 short. A book, of course, is much longer and gives you so much time to explore and to delve into the finer detail of what really was a fascinating four years. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great thing to have and a great way to look back on my time there. Yeah, there's probably more left out of it than you could have put in. Uh, so rich was the experience. Um, Brian, thanks a million. Uh, safe, safe driving back in Ireland. And, and, and thanks for having the chat. Thank you, Connor. It was great. Thank you. Well, fair play to him, you have to say. What a chapter to have in his life. Thanks to Brian for taking the time to chat, and we can look forward to having him on our screens again as RTE's work and technology correspondent. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. Please check out previous episodes where you'll find chats with people like Shane Ross, Teresa Mannion, Ivan Yates, George Hook, and others, names you'll know and some you won't have met yet. It's all there on seniortimes.ie or wherever you get your podcasts. Just Google Driving Life with Connor Faulkner and you can email me at connorfaulkner at gmail.com. Until next time, drive safely, live happily and come back and see us again. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations.